0: You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. Oh my word, it's good to be at church, guys. Oh my word, it's good to be. Hey, I need someone to bring my Bible back there. I think my Bible's back there somewhere. So hopefully someone hears me. Brought my phone. I'll switch you. I don't need my phone. <coughs> Thank you so much. felt naked. Wow, it's good to be at church. Good to see everyone at church. You're all looking good. Some of you have lost weight with that living room workout, I can tell. And uh, it's, uh, it's so wonderful to be here at church. I, I, I just can't say enough about it. So there's this posture right here of worshiping God I just haven't been in in a while. And it's just pretty cool to just come and worship with my brothers and sisters. And this is being recorded. Guys, you are the audience This is being recorded, and and, uh, I just want to say welcome to everyone who is joining us online. You just need to know the Spirit of God is here, and God has a special message for you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and your love. Thank you for uh, your presence here, Lord. Thank you, God. And I just, uh, as always, Lord, I just ask for your Spirit, according to Isaiah 61, to work in me and through me, according to your good pleasure. Would you move in hearts here? Moving the hearts of those who are watching by video right now, God, whether they're in their living room um, or they're in their kitchen and they're eating a bowl of cereal, whatever it is, God, would you speak to them, Lord? Thank you for your presence, Lord. We love you, God. Have your way, Holy Spirit. You're in charge here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And the church said... You guys hear that online? That's the church. We have grown like a thousandfold since last weekend. Last weekend, I preached to three awesome camera guys, and, uh, and that was about it, four, four cameras, guys. It's really hard to tell a joke like to an empty room, like nobody laughs, and it's just different. So last time we met in person was Sunday, March 15. You know how many weekends that's been? 11 weekends since we haven't been at church. And, uh, and uh, that's, been, that's been a challenge. Um, first time we did it, on, on, I remember waking up on Saturday, and, and I remember waking up on Sunday and being at home, and I thought, gosh, this is what like 95% of people do. They just stay at home on Sunday, and they take the dog out for a walk. And I thought, well, this is interesting. Um, the last time we met, there was plenty of toilet paper. And it was around, and we didn't even think about, you know, stocking up on toilet paper. Um, we heard about this virus, and we heard about this new city named Wuhan. I'd never heard of it before, and and when I, when I heard about it. Um, <coughs> in fact, the last time we met, I think just about three days before, um, I went with my cousin, and we went to go see a Nuggets game, uh, NBA game, and we went to go see them play, and um, And then, of course, um, the NBA season eventually shut down and all the other sporting events, March Madness and all of that fun stuff, I like watching that too. And then there was this guy named George Floyd that was not a national name, right? Not a national name. Look how our world has changed in 11 weeks. Now we carry masks in our glove compartments and we carry them within our cars just in case And it's just part of our life. Hey, before we jump into this message, you know, I I prayed about this and and I thought about this. And I thought, um, you know, maybe I need to just talk a little bit about how Thorn Creek Church feels about racism. Is that okay with you? Um, Because it's a real thing and with social media, it's all over now, right? It's all over. So I, I, I felt like I just should share with you my personal view of, uh, of people of different colors. <laughs> and uh, as I stand here, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but I'm not white. <laughs> I know that might be a shocker. Don't try to adjust the screen on your computer. <laughs> I'm not white. In fact, um, if you look at uh, uh, the definition of people of color, it would say a person who is not white or European parentage. So I've been not white my whole life. And I've been a minority my whole life, and I'm going to share with you just a little bit of my experience of uh, being... In fact, there's very few uh, pastors in this area that are minorities and people of color like me. So you're one of... I mean, your pastor is one of those people. Um, most are, are white, and, and that's just, just what they are. Um, so I, I wish I had a dollar for every time somebody asked me, so... What are you? I have been asked that question my whole life. So what are you? My skin is really dark. It's, uh, if I go out to the beach, which typically I don't go to the beach, like I'm looking for a tree because the sun just sits on me. And if you see anyone with dark complexion, um, you, you, you notice not very many go out and lay out on the beach it's all white people that lay out on the beach. It's because that sun is so hot and it just sits on me. I feel like I'm five degrees hotter. I'm gonna go up in flames or something like that. So it's just kind of been my life. I've been called black. I've been called poor We've had people come to Thorn Creek Church because they have there's a black pastor leading the church. No doubt. We've had people come in and they thought, they thought I, I, I was, I'm really a whole thing, a bunch of stuff. I've been called Puerto Rican. I've been called Cuban, Indian, Native American, Mexican, Latino, and a Yankee fan. So I've been called <laughs> all of this stuff, mahogany. <laughs> so if I go out in the sun, I just get dark. Some of you get red. I just get black, 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 black. That's who I am. Um, growing up, I have experienced a lot of unkind words. I grew up in the big city in San Antonio, just a few minutes from downtown. The school that I went to, high school, you were either black or Hispanic. That was my school. In fact, if you were white, you stood out. You were the minority. And that's, that's the, the world I, I, I grew up in. It was, um, um, I know what it's like to be discriminated against. I can share stories with you about that. I know what it's like to be judged. I know what it's like to be looked at with a suspicious eye. I know what it's like to be treated unkindly. And I've had plenty of times where I've been in shock with what people have said. My mom is the same color, my mom, same color. <coughs> when growing up, uh, during her grade school years, um, she would ride the school bus and she was relatively short, still is. Um, shout out to mom, hi mom. Everybody should say hi mom really loud. <laughs> I hope you heard that, Mom. And I uh, love you, Mom. <laughs> and uh, she told me during her middle school years, she, she, she wanted to sit in the front of the bus, but they would tell her she needs to sit in the back of the bus because of the color of her skin. So she would sit in the back of the bus because of the color of her skin. And at school, she wasn't allowed to drink from any water fountain. She had to drink from the segregated, the colored water fountain, if she was thirsty. That's, how she, that's where she was. She was allowed. Uh, she, was, she would go to a roller skating rink, wasn't allowed to go in, because of the color of her skin. And in, in high school she thought it was going to get better and quickly found out it was segregated and she had to sit with a non-white section, the, the segregated section in the cafeteria. That's where she sat. And, and she has all kinds of stories and she remembers a lot of them, some really difficult situations. So personally, I grew up hearing all kinds of ignorant, ignorant comments. My closest friends were people of color. I I played in sports, and we would get naked together in the locker room, and we would swim together, and I would go to their house, and I would eat their food, whether it was black food or Hispanic food, whatever. They were just my brothers, and I just have a deep love for people of different colors. That's just the way I am. Truth is, I always thought I'd fit better in a big city, just to be honest with you. When I go travel and if I go to New York City, I feel right at home. And most people think I'm a New York or something like that. Or if I go to D.C. or San Diego or Los Angeles or a big city, I just fit. I I know what it feels like to walk in. When Grace and I first moved to Colorado, um, I remember going to a Denny's in Colorado Springs. And I remember sitting down in a Denny's and looking around, and there was nothing but white people all around me. And when you grow up this color, you become mindful of stuff. I know what it feels like to be like a raisin in a bowl of milk. I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to have eyes on you because people don't know who you are and that kind of thing. I think it's hilarious that God is using me in a North Denver suburb. It is, it is evidence that God can do whatever he wants with whomever he wants. And that's a glory. That's all, God gets all the glory. He gets all the glory for that. Um, I, I really believe that people who come to Thrun Creek are, are okay with other races because the lead pastor is just such a mix. And if, if you're not okay with it, then you just need to go somewhere else and find a white pastor. It's all good. Um, <clears throat> so I, I know that was my world. And my friends, I, I just, these were my friends. These were my, now, I was very aware of the color of my skin. And I can share stories with you of how aware I was. I was very comfortable in in this on the streets and and with my friends and 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 people of of color i was so comfortable and i grew up like that so much that when i was around people who were all white i was very uncomfortable i made them nervous and they made me nervous because we just didn't know each other that well then one day i became a christian and jesus got a hold of my heart Jesus got a hold on my heart, and I had this new love that uh, I, I've always seen people just because, uh, you know, we're all the same, under the, we're, you know, that's what salvation is, one beggar asking another beggar where I can get some bread. That's who we are. And uh, I, I, it, just, it just changed. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, this is a verse I shared uh, on my social media. It says this, after, after this, I looked up, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And when you look at that verse, what race do you see is going to be in heaven? All kinds of races. All kinds of races. I see that, and it reminds me of our God and how loving He is. We're all created in the image of God. Glory to God. We're all created in the image of God. And I see that, and I see, gosh, we all need the grace of God. We all need forgiveness of our sins. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what color. And, and, and I, I equally hug my, my white brothers and my black brothers and my brown brothers. I don't rarely hug a, a sister because I try to be careful about hugging women. But I, I, I love hugging them and I'll kiss them. And, and it's, just, it's just where I'm at. It's just a genuine, I have a genuine love because I see who we are. I see who you are. I believe the church should be the most integrated organization in the world. The most integrated organization in the world because it's a picture of heaven. Heaven is integrated. Heaven is integrated because we all need the grace of God. So what do we do in a situation like this? I'm just going to tell you where my heart's at is you love. You love like Jesus loves. You love I do believe if if you feel so led to protest, you do it with peace. You do it with peace, not to create division, not to to, uh, hurt anyone else, uh, but to do it peacefully. I think about Jesus and his love for the woman at the well who nobody ever talked to a Samaritan, but he did. I think about the story of the good Samaritan, and it just so happens that the good Samaritan that everybody looked down on is the rock star in that story. So I see the heart of Jesus. When someone looks different from you, get to know them. You'll find out you have more in common with them than you think. Both of you have had to work through past and history and pain and, and questions. It's, it's, all, it's all of us. And I will also say this, pray for our police officers. Pray for them. Don't judge all of them because of a few have made a terrible decision. Don't judge them for that. But we have a lot of good police officers. Pray for them. Don't lump everyone together because it's not fair when you lump everyone together regardless of what it is. Don't incite riots. I believe Martin Luther King would be would be uh, would approve this idea. Of if you're going to protest, do it peacefully. See, here's the problem. I'm just going to tell you, racism isn't going to go away because it's a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue. And and we naturally when we see someone that we, that looks a little bit different from us, and it starts all the way when you're in third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. We don't really grow out of it. When we're adults, we just have money. That's the only difference. But when, when, when we get older, we see someone who looks a little bit different, and we think, oh, they're different from me. But I would say, cross that line, be kind to them, get to know them, whatever their occupation is. Get to know them. It's a spiritual issue. It's a sinich issue. Here at Thorn Creek Church, we're always going to love every color. Here at Thorn Creek, we're going to love every single color. I mean, that's the pastor you got too. So <laughs> I, just, I just, I love every single color. We all need the grace of God. None of us have it all together. And here at Thorn Creek, we're always going to look like a box of MMs. You know what I mean? And we're always going to look like that. In fact, here in the North Denver area, we're more multicultural than a lot of churches in this area. And I love that. I love that. I love kissing my my brothers, whether you're black or white. I kissed Greg Jackson. He's one of our black brothers here. And I I remember when, when I went to kiss him, I went to the left. And let me just tell you, men, if I'm gonna kiss you, you need to go to the left, not to your right, because I'm going left. And he went to the right and we smacked lips, like lip to lip. And I was like, Greg, what's wrong with you, brother? And he just laughed so hard. It wasn't funny. I felt like it was just weird, like I cheated on Grace or something, but it was it was weird. So here at Thorn Creek, we're gonna be a slice of heaven. Is that okay with everyone? Put your hands together if you're good for that. We're gonna be a slice of heaven. Our love's gonna look different. Our love's gonna look different from the world, the way the world loves, and we're gonna be willing to walk across and love on someone. All right. Let's pray, guys. We'll jump into this message. God bless this message. Come all over it, Holy Spirit. Come all over it, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Oh, it feels so good to be here. Hey, uh, we're starting this brand new series, as Pastor Nick talked about, called Out of Exile. And uh, exile, you can, if you looked up a definition of exile, it says this, the state of being barred from one's native country, typically for political or punitive reasons, so the story behind this is the Israelites were exiled into this country known as Babylon. And they were there for about 70 years. And while they were there for 70 years, their relationships looked different. And they were living on pagan soil, pagan land. And they were, these people worshipped other gods, pagan gods. So they're there for like 70 years, and they have a chance to think about a lot. So, so uh, the beautiful thing about this whole story is we get this opportunity to see how God um, works with his people, Israel. And when you look in the Old Testament and you see the Israelites, it's a picture of God's relationship with us many times. And you see the Israelites, you know, they're going strong, and then they make a bad decision, and, they're, you know, you just see that. And we can look at the life of the Israelites as God's children of God, and we can look at that and say, yep, I've done that. I've done that, I've done that. So that's the beauty of the Old Testament. You see how, how God relates to them. But I want you to understand um, where this is at. Today's title is this, God will go before you. It's a good word. Turn the person next to you and just tell them, God will go before you. Um, God will go before you. And, and whatever you're facing in life, God sees it. God loves you. God cares about you. And God will go before you. So here's a little timeline of the Bible because I want you to understand where this, this, uh, this particular situation happens. You know, you can see this timeline from the creation and, and, and so forth. But that blue little suitcase there, that's the exile. So it comes after the kings and it comes literally right before the Old Testament ends. So after the kings, you see the the Israelites are exiled into Assyria and Babylon. In fact, 722 B.C., the northern kingdom is the Assyrian, uh, the Assyrian exile, and they were, they were taken there. And then 586 BC, the southern kingdom happens, and that's the Babylonian exile, which is what we're talking about. So I want you to understand something. I want you to understand how this whole exile thing started, because we can learn a lot about the way it started. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 28, Deuteronomy chapter 28 is what God gave his children, and there's blessings and cursings in Deuteronomy chapter 28 blessings for obedience and cursings for disobedience. It's pretty long, and there's more cursings than blessings. And and you see it, and and you see it. And there's this one verse in there, and this is a consequence of disobedience, and here it is, verse 36. If If you're disobedient, the Lord will exile you, and your king to a nation unknown to you and your ancestors. There in exile you will worship other gods of wood and stone. So all the way back during the days of Moses... God gives his people a heads up, and he says, look, if you turn your back on me, there's going to be consequences. If you do that, there's good, and, and you're going to have to live with those consequences, and, and you, have, you have a choice. You can, you can take, you know, the blue pill or the red pill. You can take the blessings, or you can take this other life, and it's up to you. What kind of life do you want to live? I think it's a good question for all of us. What kind of life do you want to live? Do you want to know the blessings of God in your life? Or do you wanna know just enough of God to like keep you out of hell? Or do you want all of God in this world that we're in right now? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, you should read it. It, There's just blessings that cover everything. But there's also, like in this this situation, verse 36, there's a consequence for disobedience. So when you fast forward, there's a bunch of kings in Israel and there's a bunch of kings in Judah. And Israel kings had a lot of bad kings, but, but Judah, the southern kingdom, which is where Jerusalem is, they had a lot of good kings and occasionally they had some bad ones. One good one, his name was Hezekiah. King Hezekiah loved God. In fact, 2 Kings chapter 18, it describes him like this. He trusted him, the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him, there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him, for he clung to the Lord. He did not depart from him, but he kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. I love that word "clung." I, I think about that white knuckled grip, and I think about like like this was Hezekiah. He just held on to God, and when he went through hard times, he held on to God. It's something we could all learn 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 through. Let me when you go through hard times, hold on to your faith, and you hold on to your walk with God. And it doesn't matter if nothing makes sense. I'm going to keep walking with God. I'm going to keep leaning on Him, even though I don't understand what's happening. I'm going to keep doing this. And there's this. This decision that you make, that I'm going to do life with God, even though I've been hurt, even though it doesn't make sense, I'm going to do life with God, and this decision I'm making has nothing to do with my mother or my father or my sister or my brother or my aunt or my uncle or my friend. I'm going to keep walking with God. Have you made that decision? (laughs) Let me just tell you, God God can give you a life. It's so much better than the life you can give yourself. He can, he can, he's such a good God. So you see Hezekiah. In fact, when you read more about Hezekiah in these chapters, you read about stuff that he did. He went around Jerusalem and he said, that's wrong, that's wrong, we're going to tear that down. That right there is this idol. We're not going to do that. He, let's rip that. He just turned everything. It was like a spiritual reformation. And he just cleaned house. He just cleaned house. Something happens. In chapter 20, um, you read about Hezekiah getting really sick. He gets really sick. And it's deathly ill sick. We don't know exactly what it was, but it was deathly ill. So he prayed to God. And God said, okay, I'll give you 15 more years to live. And you read the story there, and, and, and literally God stops time and actually goes backwards. The sun moves backwards. It's a crazy story there. But but he actually, during that time while he was sick, there were people that were giving him gifts. He was well-loved. One of the people that gave him many gifts was this son of a king of Babylon. And this son had a convoy of gifts to give King Hezekiah. He got better. So this son of a king of Babylon shows up to Hezekiah's place and gives him all of these gifts and they become buddies and they talk. And and next thing Hezekiah does is Hezekiah says, hey, man, let me show you all of my royal treasuries. The son of a king of Babylon. So he shows this guy all of his royal treasuries. It's like going to your house and you have that stash, whatever it is, maybe it's your, your treasuries, maybe it's your jewelry or your baseball cards, I don't know. And you're like, okay, this is really special. If I show you this, we're our relationship's at a different level because I don't show everyone this. So he does this. Isaiah the prophet walks up and says, Hezekiah, what did you do? And Hezekiah says, oh, I just spent some time with the son of this king, and I showed him around. And Hezekiah, uh, the prophet Isaiah says, "What, what did you show him? And then Hezekiah says, I showed him everything. I showed him all the royal treasures. And then Isaiah the prophet says, oh, there's going to be a day when that king Will come and conquer you and everyone around you, and you will be your children will be exiled to Babylon, Persia. And he heard that, and he thought, "Well, I'm fine in my lifetime." And you read about all this in Second Kings chapter twenty. Which the, the incredible lesson there for all of us here is this: you know, Hezekiah wasn't thinking that when he was showing this son of a king around; he was thinking of friends. But let me just tell you right now: people aren't always who they appear to be. People aren't always who they appear to be. You might think you have a friend and that you might think this is a friend but they may be talking about you behind your back. Or they may be one way in front of you and another way behind you. You might think they're with you but they're not with you. You might think that and they may they may maybe you don't know their motives. You don't know their heart. Hezekiah didn't see all that. Hezekiah had a son, many sons. But his oldest son was this guy named Manasseh. Manasseh. Manasseh was the 14th king of the kingdom of Judah. And I'm going to read a little bit about him. 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. His mother was Hesbubah. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Following the detestable practices of the pagan nations that the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. Follow them. He rebuilt the pagan shrines his father Hezekiah had destroyed. Wow. He constructed altars for Baal and set up an Asherah pole just as King Ahab of Israel had done. He was also an evil king. He also bowed before all the powers of the heavens and worshiped them. You keep reading about in in 2 Kings chapter 21, and it's a laundry list of all the things Menasa did. Horrible, blasphemous things. So different from his dad. And here's the message for you and for everyone. You can grow up in a church-going home, a godly home, and you can walk away from God. It's important for you to take ownership of your faith. It's important for you to get to know the Jesus that your mother and father know. It's important for you to learn to walk with God with your own legs, because they're not always gonna be around you. And it's important for you to do that, because here, Menesah had a phenomenal dad named Hezekiah. You couldn't have asked for a more godly man. But Menesah, there was something in him. He was strangely attracted to all of his pagan neighbors, his pagan friends. He's like, gosh, look at the way they party. I just want to party like them. Look what they do on Saturday night. Well, I want to go with them. I want to hang out. And little by little, his heart changed, and he started worshiping other gods. Started worshiping other gods. Now, look at the consequences of this one man. 2 Kings chapter 24 These disasters happened to Judah because of the Lord's command. He had decided to banish Judah from his presence, that's the exile, because of the many sins of Menesah. Have you ever put that together? This exile was connected to one man and his spiritual decisions. It's an incredible lesson for us. So many times we think, oh, my decisions aren't going to impact anyone. But they do, good and, and bad. And it happened because of the many sins of Manasseh. See, sometimes, let me just say this to you. God used Babylon as his agent to correct his children, Israel. Sometimes God will use a Babylon in your life to get your attention. God stirred the heart of this king of Babylon and these other nations and God used them to go and to grab to grab Israel and to exile them and took them away from their land and God was the one who was behind that. Sometimes God will allow you to suffer to get your attention. Sometimes God will allow you to go through hard times. Sometimes God will allow you to be treated unkindly or unfairly because he wants you to see his goodness. He wants you to see his kindness. You might, someone might hurt you. God wants you to know nobody will, God will never hurt you. God is so faithful. And sometimes God will use a Babylon to get your attention. That's what happens. For 70 years, the Israelites thought about their mistake. 70 years. It's like 70 years of being in timeout. I mean, just 70 years. Of, of God saying, you know what, this is where you're at, and I'm going to take you over here. And while you're on pagan land, I want you to think about your mistakes. I want you to think about your spiritual decisions. I want you to think about what you worship, who you worship. I want you to just reflect on that. For 70 years, living in that kind of guilt, gosh, we really screwed up. We should have never done that. Why didn't we go to church more? Why didn't we worship God? Why didn't we do all these things? For 70 years, they're living in this place and they're thinking, what has happened? Have you ever felt like, like you really, really messed up? Like you, some for some of you, you might feel like I'm living in the consequences of my mess. You know what I'm saying? I messed up so bad, now I'm living in these consequences, and I'm just going to live in these consequences forever. It's always going to be like that because of my decisions. Anyone relate to that? Anyone you know what I'm talking about? You've been there before? Look at your God. <laughs> when you look at your God, oh, here's what, here's what you, I want you to hear. God's grace can rewrite your story. Ah, Let me say that again. God's grace can rewrite your story. God's grace can rewrite your story. And in 70 years, they're over here, and you see God saying, I haven't forgotten you. I'm going to bring you home. I know you think all this has happened, and this relationship will never be the same, and he'll never talk to you again, and she'll never talk to you again, and I messed up so bad but your mess up is not greater than God's grace and it's not bigger than God can do whatever he wants and he can take your mess. and gonna be part of your story. God will rewrite your story. Glory to God. He'll rewrite your story. God wants to do that. See, he can bring a river in the desert. Glory to God. (laughs) He could do that. That's who God is. He's way bigger than you. He's way bigger than what you could imagine. God can do that. That's what he does. And here it comes. Seventy years later, we look at Ezra and we look at Nehemiah. Ezra was a lover of God's word. Nehemiah was tasked to build Ezra chapter one. We're going to be looking at Ezra and Nehemiah these next weeks, guys. Verse one, in the first year of King Cyrus of Persia. King Cyrus of Persia. This is a guy, he's not a Hebrew. This is a guy who didn't go to church with the Hebrews. He's not an Israelite. This is a pagan king of a powerful force, powerful empire known as Persia. Maybe you've read about Persia. This is who he is. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. He, he, see, now the assumption here, right here, as Ezra's writing this, most people believe, in fact, Ezra and the book of Nehemiah used to be one book. There used to be one book written by, most people believe, Ezra. And then it was only as after a number of years passed by that when you look at your Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah are two books, but they used to be just one. So the assumption here in verse 1, as Ezra is writing, the assumption is that you know the prophecy of Jeremiah. You've read Jeremiah before. And in fact, if you look at 2 Chronicles and you look at the very last chapter of 2 Chronicles, it picks up right in Ezra chapter 1, beautifully. I got to get past verse 1 here. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus, pagan king, to put this proclamation in writing and to send it throughout his kingdom. And this is what the king Cyrus of Persia says. Now, this is a pagan king. Who stirred his heart? God. Let me just stop right there. And I want you to think about that pagan person in your life. (laughs) And I just want you to know God is able to stir his order. You pray lights out. You get on your knees and you cry out to God and you think, oh, that friend is horrible. That that neighbor or that place, that person I work with, or that boss, or whatever it is, that teacher, whatever it is. You pray and God is able to move their hearts. I feel like I need to start preaching here, guys, a little bit here. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has anointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. He sounds like a king of Israel. He's not. And he's saying, God has stirred my heart, and I feel like we need to build this this temple in, in Judah. And verse three, any of you who are his people, who are his people? The Israelites. God's people any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem and Judah to rebuild. Boy, if you're underlined that in your Bible, to rebuild this temple of the Lord, the God of Israel who lives in Jerusalem and may your God be with you. Wow, 70 years and God stirs the heart of this Persian king and God says, it's time. It's time. You just need to tell the person next to you, just tell them, it's time. It's time. And God says, my grace has been activated. My grace has been activated. I'm going to move here, and I'm going to start with this Persian king that everyone else fears. Rebuild this temple of the Lord. Rebuild it verse 4 says, wherever this Jewish remnant is found, it's a remnant, isn't it? It's not, it's his people. It's small, but it's God's people. And wherever this remnant is found, let their neighbors contribute toward their expenses by giving them silver and gold, supplies for the journey and livestock, as well as a voluntary offering for the temple of God in Jerusalem. This Persian king is saying, the Israelites are leaving us to go build their temple and wherever they're at, I want you to empty out your jewelry box and all of your money and I want you to give them money so they can go on their journey and give them livestock as well. Look how God moves. He did the same thing incidentally. Remember when the Israelites left Egypt? You remember they they, they plundered And the Egyptians gave them much, and they left wealthy. They came poor, but they left wealthy. They they showed up in disgrace, but they left full of the blessings of God. And now they're walking away because God, when he blesses, he blesses. He knows how to bless. He knows how to redeem. He knows how to restore. He knows how to bring life. He knows how to bring joy. There's nobody that knows how to do it better than God. And all the political campaigns, all the protests wouldn't have mattered because God is the one who moved in this pagan king named Cyrus. And Cyrus says, okay, people of God, go and worship your God. And everybody, let's pitch in. Let's take up an offering. Let's do this. Let's start a GoFundMe account and let's go ahead and bless them. And we're gonna bless them till their socks fall off. We're just gonna keep blessing them. And verse five says this, then God stirred the hearts of the priests and Levites and leaders of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin to go to Jerusalem to rebuild. There it is again, the temple of the Lord. See, God's all about rebuilding. And all their neighbors assisted by giving them articles of silver and gold, supplies for the journey, and livestock. (laughs) They gave them many valuable gifts in addition to all the voluntary offerings. King Cyrus himself brought out the articles that King Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the Lord's temple in Jerusalem, see that's during the days of Daniel. If you're familiar with the story of Daniel. That's Nebuchadnezzar right there. Had taken him from the Lord's temple in Jerusalem, and had placed them in the temple of his own gods. See, Daniel was living in a time when he thought, "We lost. Good guys lost. Bad guys won." Verse eight. Cyrus directed Mithridath, the treasurer of Persia, to count these items and to present them to. Sheshbazar, the leader of the exiles returning to Judah so Cyrus tells the, 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 the guy who's in charge of the purse strings of Persia I want you to make sure that th- these people get a lot of money and I want to count it and I want to make sure we're as generous as possible do you see how God works do you see how God moves let me let me say this God wants to rebuild your life God wants to rebuild your life God wants to rebuild your life. God cares about you. God sees what's gone in your life. God wants to rebuild your life. He wants to do that. Will you let him? Will you let him? Now what? What does this pandemic season look like? Now what? Here's what I want you to hear. God will go before you, but there's two things you have to do. I'm going to give you two things you have to do. Here's the first thing. Ask God to do a spiritual reformation in your own heart. It starts with you. The life God can build for you is better than the life you could build yourself for you. It's not about making more money. It's not. It's not. God can rebuild your life. It starts with you turning to him and incorporating God's word into your new norm. Incorporate God's word into your new norm. During this pandemic season of stay-at-home order, you know, Israel was a, under a stay-away-from-home order, <laughs> but during our season of stay-at-home order, there's some things that we probably have discovered. You know, for me, you know, that sofa in my living room is more comfortable than I realized. I had no idea. I've been sitting down there, and I'm just gonna tell you, my dog loves this pandemic season. I'm taking walks with him every day, and he's loving everybody's in the house, and it's so good. But you know what other good things have happened is I got to spend time with my family. Sometimes I know that's hard, but there's another side to it that it could be a good thing, stuff for you to work out. Don't just go to your room and look at a screen. Spend time together, eat together. Haven't you noticed you've had a little bit more time? It just feels that way a little bit, doesn't it? I know everybody's saving on gas mileage right now. I know that. I know that. But during this time, the other thing we've discovered is this, how beautiful it is to worship God with other people. Isn't it beautiful? Have you just, I mean, maybe we've taken it for granted. Maybe you're one of those people who just don't go to church much and all of a sudden you're like, wow, it's like I I need my God right now. In our nation there is a spirit of fear that has blanketed our entire world and our nation. It's fear. And this fear is even related to the riots and authorities and everything. It's all connected. It's a spirit of fear. It's a spirit of fear. While we've been in this season um I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you the the college group here at Thorn Creek. There's like 18 college students, some of you are in this room right now, and they've been coming over to our house. Here's a picture of them right here. You know what they're doing? They're worshiping God. You know what time they show up at my house? Like at four o'clock in the afternoon. Isn't that right, baby? Four o'clock in the afternoon. And they show up, and they start practicing their worship and everything like that. And then they all show up, and then they eat our food, and I love it. They eat our food, and they open up. They have refrigerator rights, so they just open the refrigerator and get whatever they want, and that's totally cool. And then, and then we worship. And you know what they do after worship? They go through the book of Revelation verse by verse to our Bible study verse by verse, two-hour Bible study. Your butt is hurting, but you stay in your seat because you're reading the Word of God. Guys, these are college students. After that, they play games, and they literally leave our home between three and four in the morning. And I love them to death. Grace loves them to death. We love them. A lot of these we've known since they were nine years old. We love them all to death. I know how, but here's when I saw that, you know what what I thought about? (laughs) I thought the church is alive and well, and the next generation is gonna carry on the mission of Jesus Christ. Glory to God. Yeah, that's the next generation right there. I told them something, and I said, yeah, I know I'm old-fashioned, but I just think you need to have sex after you get married. And you know what they said to me? Why is that old-fashioned? I was like, ah, you hear this? God is moving. It's the next generation standing up that are saying, we're gonna, we're gonna follow, we're gonna be in love with God. We're gonna do life God's way. We're gonna do life God's way. Ask God to do a spiritual reformation in your heart. Don't be the same person that you were before the pandemic hit. You have a window of opportunity to say, I'm going to be different. I'm gonna start new habits. I'm gonna spend my days differently. I'm gonna put God first, whatever it is. Number two is this, this is the last one, hear this. Ask God to give you a new perspective. A new perspective in life. Here's, here's a great prayer. God, what are the worthless things in my life that I need to get rid of? What are the worthless things in my life that are ripping me apart from knowing you? What are the things in my life that are hurting my relationship with you, God? What do I need to throw away? What are the character issues, God? What do you see my heart? What what needs to happen? Give me a new perspective, God. Give me a new perspective. Help me to see people differently. Help me to see the church differently. I want you to do a work inside of me. Ask God to give you a new perspective. A new perspective. <clears throat> Isaiah says it like this Forget the former things. Do not dwell in the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? It's an interesting phrase. Do you not perceive it? In other words, God could be doing a new thing right in front of you and you can't see it. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Over and over, God was saying, Hey, Israel, can you see what I'm doing? <laughs> Hello, can you see what I'm doing? Turn to me, turn to me. There's so many things that have happened in my life. I'm going to share one story with you. Here, um, this is recent. Somebody called me, and um, and I would go around and I would visit people and, and go stand on their porches and pray with them. I did that quite a bit, and um, and uh, they started giving me like tithe checks to give to the church because we weren't we weren't doing church. And I didn't really like that because I'm not a bill collector. I came to pray for them, and I typically don't handle any money, but I get it. They're, they're trying to get it to the church, so I would then take it immediately to our, our bookkeeper. Um, and um, and But this one person called me and said, hey, pastor, are you at the church? And it was, uh, I think it was Thursday or something like that. And I'm typically not there at the church on Thursday. Maybe it's Friday. I don't know what it was. But anyway, I, uh, I, I said, no, but I got a couple of checks I got to take to our bookkeeper. I'll just stop. She said, Ken can I, can I give this to you? It's, and, and, and uh, she didn't want to leave it at the door. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll just stop on the way over there. So I stopped. This is a person who I, I haven't uh, seen in a while, but she calls Thorn Creek their home, her home church and her family's home church. Um, lives in Castle Rock drives. So you think you have a drive lives in Castle Rock and comes to Thorn Creek Church uh, frequently and and this person tells me that, uh, you know, I've had a relationship with this person and their family I should say the whole family, their children and her dad and I've loved on them in different ways And, and she tells me how God has been moving in her heart that's the best part of the story, she tells me how she's been fasting I said, what does that fast look like? She said, I've just been drinking water she said, I've been crying out to God and I'm hearing her say this, and you know what I'm thinking? This woman is undergoing a spiritual reformation in her heart. She's seeking God, because when you fast, that's like the gloves are off, baby. You are getting serious about your relationship with God. You are getting serious about seeking Him. And she's telling me how God has been moving in her heart, and tears are running down her cheeks as she's sharing the story with me. And I'm just like all, my, I mean, she made my day. Just hearing that part. And then she says, here's the check I want to I want to give to the church. She she said something like, I know what this church does. And I I, I want to give it to this church. I can't think of a better place to give than this church. And I said, Alright, well thank you. And I I, I uh, said goodbye to her and I, I just put the check on my check on the side with the other checks. And I drove to the bookkeepers and while I was at the bookkeepers, I, I, I went ahead and looked at the check. And it reflected great sacrifice let me say it that way great sacrifice it reflected a genuine worship to God you know what I'm talking about it's that place when you get in your walk with God where you you, you don't tip God anymore like you're at chili's you, you like he, he he or he deserves everything in his part. and I looked at it and I saw the zeros and I thought oh my word this woman has genuinely genuinely And I called her and I just said, thank you. And she was like, oh, pastor, I love this church. And when I saw that, what what was most exciting for me had nothing to do with the check, although the check was an extension of the heart. But the most exciting thing for me was seeing a person turn to God. That was most exciting for me. That was most exciting for me. (laughs) I want you to know that your God is able to bless you but it starts with you dying to yourself and surrendering to him. The other side of Deuteronomy chapter 28 is the blessing of God. And when God blesses, he blesses. He restores. He rebuilds. That's your God. Maybe you're here right now and you're ready to ask Jesus into your heart, or maybe you need to turn to him with all of your heart. Maybe you want to start all over. This is your opportunity. So would you pray with me? Online, Pray with me as well. If you'd like to ask Jesus in your heart, say this. Say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. Take all of me. Take over my past, present, and future. I want you, Jesus, to be my Lord and change my heart. Some of you need to say this prayer. God, I, wanna, I need a spiritual reformation in my own heart. I've been so angry. I've been so hurt. I've been so wounded. God, I need you to heal me. I need you to change me. Put your spirit inside of me, God. Give me a new joy, a new peace. And others of you might need to say this. God, I need a new perspective. I want to forget those things of the past. I want to go forward. God, thank you for your grace and your love. Thank you so much. And God, I just pray for your blessings. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church.